Welcome to episode 80 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 8. We are one spirit, one soul, and together we are creating a library of stories and life lessons. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories matter, stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. This is the 80th episode. Just saying it aloud has got my heart dancing. I say this with gratitude because honestly, I did not think I would get so far. I want to thank my listeners, my monthly subscribers who truly support the creation of this podcast, and to all the guests who gave generously of their time, personal stories, and their life lessons. For those who want to become monthly subscribers, please check the show notes for details. I would like to open today's special episode with the serenity prayer that was written in the 1800s because our guest for today is a true example of its application. And when you listen to what she has to say, you will know why. The prayer is, Dear God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Selected as one of the most influential negotiation professionals globally, our guest for today is a professional negotiator, trainer, and inspirational speaker. In her podcast, Life Negotiations, she shares negotiation skills to help people resolve conflicts peacefully. And it is important to note that she is also a mother. Everyone, please join me in welcoming Luzin Mehrabi. Hello, Lucin. Welcome to Sharing Life Lessons. It is wonderful to have you on the show. Just so that the listeners know, I have been trying to get Lucin to be my guest for quite a bit. So I am very happy that we are able to talk today. Lucin, can you please start us off by telling us something about yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me. Sorry for the calendar issues. It's so packed three, four months in advance, and I'm happy we managed to squeeze this in now. So yeah, my name is Lucine Meravi. I am a professional negotiator. I'm based in Dubai. I have two children, and my work consists of helping companies through high-stake negotiations. And before this, I spent 15 years in finance on trading floors in France. I've lived in the Netherlands. Tell me, what do you want to know? (laughs) So listen, you and I have the same background. I have worked in the financial institutions for over 20 years. And I have some really good war stories to tell about the 2008 financial crisis, Mm. which I'm sure you have as well. (laughs) I was on the trading floors as well. There you go. Another podcast with you on that. (laughs) (laughs) Because we've learned a lot of lessons from that crisis. But without digressing, tell us your story. I can't wait to hear your story. And I know it is about your son. The story about my son? Okay, so as I said, I was working in finance. My son was born. Everything was fine. And then I was, well, it wasn't fine. I mean, the delivery was a catastrophe. He had trouble getting out, so they had to assist in his birth. And once he did get out, he wasn't breathing properly. He wasn't responding. And therefore, they rushed him into the intensive care where he was put in coma for five days. And when he was out of coma, I spent another five days with him in the hospital to just make sure that he was okay. And then we went home and everything seemed okay. But, you know, you have this mother instinct telling me something is wrong with him. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what. 
And we did all the medical checkups and everything seemed normal. And he had all his vaccinations and responding with, you know, high fever and that kind of stuff, which I was always told was normal. So we continue like this in life. And I, I just had this gut feeling that something is wrong with him. And I was always thinking that there was a link with the period in coma. Maybe his brain was affected. He had a very difficult behavior issues. But again, doctors always told me he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. Until he was about five years old, I kept knocking on doors of different doctors saying, can you just make sure he's okay? I knew there was something without knowing what. Yeah. And then finally, a neurologist took us seriously and she did a long list of tests with him. And she told us there's actually something, there is something wrong with him, but I can't tell you what. There are different scenarios. And a worst case would be a muscular dystrophy for which there is no cure. So we started doing a lot of other tests, uh, biopsy, that kind of things. I think mm. that was the worst period when you don't know. And I was going through hope and despair and everything in between hoping that it wouldn't be that. And I was negotiating with God a lot in that yeah. period saying, please, please, not muscular dystrophy. Please give me something else. Give him a disease for which there is a cure. Give me the disease. I even remember I told God, if you make sure that he doesn't have a disease for which there is no cure, uh -huh. I promise you I'll stop my work and I'll start working for an NGO for the rest of my life for free. <laughs> I can't wait to hear whether God listened to that or not. Well, unfortunately, he didn't. I didn't find an agreement in that negotiation mm -hmm. because, yeah, unfortunately, the diagnosis came June 2017 and it was muscular dystrophy. It's a Duchenne muscular dystrophy, meaning his muscles are slowly breaking down. Mm -hmm. There's no cure yet. When the heart gives up, that's when the patients die. It's 100% fatal. Nobody has ever become very old with this disease and life expectancy is somewhere around 25 at the moment. Um, how so old he's was 10 he now. And how old was he when you found out? It was a few days after his sixth birthday. So he was six. Now he's 10. And yeah, his heart can give up. And of course, I'm in all these Facebook groups with other moms and dads of Duchenne children. And every day I see a message coming by, rest in peace, this boy, and rest in peace, that child. And the ages are, are anywhere between 10 and 30. So you just don't know how long you have. How do you even... Get yourself prepared for an event like this, Lucin. I'm a oh, mother of I'm a mother <laughs> of two. Thankfully, my kids have grown up now. But I know this is such a wonderful age. Ten is such a sweet age. But just to know that it could be any day, any month, any year. Yeah. You don't prepare for it because you don't. I mean, obviously, every parent that wants a child never thinks that the child. Uh, might be severely handicapped. Mm -hmm. It's just something you think that only happens to others until it happens to you. And also, I'm not a carrier of the disease. So this is really something that can literally happen to anybody. Anyone can have a child with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And of course, you're never prepared for something like that. And then when it hits you, how do you deal with it? Well, the best we can. The day we got the diagnosis, 9th of June, that evening, I told my husband we were living in, in a suburb of Paris that is very hilly village so it's mm -hmm. up and down and up and down and i told my husband i said listen in a few years he will be in a wheelchair and paris is impossible in a wheelchair i couldn't even get around with the buggy for the child when they were babies 
I said, it's impossible. We can't live here. We have to go somewhere else. And I, I thought about moving to the Netherlands where I'm from because the Netherlands is very flat. Mm -hmm. But then I told him, I said, you know what? We have absolutely no control, no influence on how long he will live. So we have to go all in on his quality of life. No, mm -hmm. we can't influence the quantity. Let's go all in on quality. Let's give him the best life possible. And that's when the idea came of, why don't we move to Dubai? And he said, Dubai, are you out of your mind? <laughs> what are you going to do in Dubai? I said, listen, it's it's warm weather. Mm -hmm. There's There are beaches, there are pools everywhere. We can do aqua therapy with him in the water. We can, you know, just create memories and do all this fun stuff and go to Ferrari world. And I don't know, whatever a young boy likes. And in the beginning, he thought I was crazy and maybe I was, but I was quite sure of this intuition that told me go to Dubai and give him a fantastic life, no matter how long you have. And of course, our family thought that I was crazy too, but it doesn't matter. Three months later, we were in Dubai. We put him and his sister, because I also have a younger daughter in the best school that we could find. It's a Swiss school. It's one week in French, one week in English. And the idea was just, we go there as long as we can afford it. Uh, or as long as he walks and when he starts using a wheelchair, we can still move to the Netherlands. We'll see. And that was four years ago. And I can tell you this three months ago, we bought our house here. So we were staying. We're so happy here. I love the UAE. I launched my career as a professional negotiator and trainer and it's skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. My husband's work is going well now and the kids are happy. I'm, I'm so happy that I listened to that intuition that rationally didn't make sense. But yeah, here we are. Listen, in many of my episodes before, we have talked about intuition. In fact, I think it was episode number 46 where I had an intuition coach who teaches mm. you how to get aware of your intuition and listen to it. And yeah. she said it, it's something like a tap on the shoulder. Mm. It's when you're not going the right way as a parent, you tap your kid on the shoulder and say, hey, it's not this way, it's that way. Mm. And few, she said, actually know how to listen to it. So I feel like gratitude right there that you even were aware of it and knew how to listen to your intuition. Well, it's looking back when I was in the moment, I didn't know that was called intuition or what I was doing. I mean, I'm from a finance background. So naturally I'm very rational, analytical. I base my decisions on pro and con list. I, I make an Excel of all the advantages and disadvantages. <laughs> And this is literally what we did with my husband. We made a list, France versus UAE, and we wrote down all the things that could impact the quality of life, be it the sun, the healthcare system, the finances, family. We wrote it down all, and then we literally made a sum of, okay, which country wins? Mm -hmm. So we do a total, and which country do you think wins? France wins. <laughs> Okay. Wins. But again, this feeling is so strong and I don't know where it comes from. So I tell him, no, 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 wait a second. Not everything is as important. So we have to add points so and ponderations. We have to add weights to <laughs> Weights. And that's what we did. So we add the weights and then we, we do the sum of all the points again. And you won't believe it. France wins again. And then I remember very well, I'll never forget that moment. I look on my right where he's sitting, I see that France wins. He sees that France wins. And I see this micro expression of being, um, uh, how do you call it in English? Uh, he was disappointed. I saw that he was disappointed. 
Okay. And I tell him, are you disappointed because France won? And he said, yeah, I don't know why. I said, because you want to go. I want to go too. Let's just go. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. Forget about the numbers. We're going. <laughs> and, and we decided to go and look at it here. I mean, the first year was super difficult, but mm -hmm. now it's the fourth year. We love it here. Again, we just invested in a house. We're completely renovating it, making it accessible. We installed a lift. We're putting ramps in. We're just going to make it the very accessible house and create fantastic memories with him again, as long as we have. And you can see clearly that your son is very happy here. I can see very clearly. He's happy to, today. I had a conversation with him. I recorded it actually. And I said, on a scale of one to 10, what is the number that you would give to your quality of life? How happy are you? And he said, nine. I said, oh, that's fantastic. And I said, what does it take to go from nine to 10? Mm -hmm. He didn't mention his disease at all. He just said, well, if my sister wasn't that annoying. <laughs> <laughs> a perfect Typical big brother answer. answer. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. And I've asked this question all the time, because obviously for me, that is my North Star, right? Like, how happy is he? And the number is always very, very high. The other day I said from zero to 100, how happy are you? He said 99. And, and when I say, what else do you need or do you want? He never, never, ever talks about his disease. He is he's a true inspiration for me because he takes it as it comes. It's a progressive disease. So every few months, there's another thing that he loses, another thing that he can't do anymore. For example, two years ago, he would still walk normally. Now he can't. Last year, he could still stand straight and be stable. Now he can't. Two months ago, he could still go to the toilet alone. Now he can't. That's how fast this disease goes. And he just accepts every phase of it just as if, okay, this is the new, new, and here we go. That is such an and amazing attitude. It really is. It's so impressive. We adults can learn so much from that, right? He just accepts what is very, very quickly. I, I think and he should be my next guest. He should be. <laughs> he's, very, he's very introverted, so I don't know if he will talk much, but maybe in a few years' time, if God willing, he's still here. He would be a great guest. He's very, very inspirational. I learned so much from him. I learned so much from this disease. I learned to accept things that I can't control as fast as I can. I learned to go all in on what I can control. I learned to enjoy the little things. I've learned to let go very, very quickly. Something bad, a bad event, a bad person, whatever. It's just out and, and we move forward. I've learned to take more risks and just go wherever. I feel like going, I've learned to be more independent and live my life the way I want to, whether people like it or not. I've learned to be more assertive and say what I think. I mean, I have to defend him mm -hmm. and the medical choices we make for the hospitals. We have at least, at least 100 medical appointments every year. Yeah. So that needs to be planned. That needs to be organized. That needs to be paid. And there's a lot of negotiation with doctors when we want a certain treatment that I don't agree with or the other way around. So yeah, this disease and facing this crisis every single day is helping me be a better human being, better mother, better professional negotiator, <laughs> better everything. So you've already packed a lot of life lessons in what you said. There's so much, but let's pick a couple of things that are you think helped you the most so that if listeners find themselves not in the same situation it's not always about your child's illness but anything mm. similar where it's unbearable or how could this have happened kind of thing yeah T tell us what are things that really helped you get through this well i'm still going through this right it's sure. it's, it's never ending what has helped me is this um, notion of acceptance accepting what is 
accepting what you can't control. And I used to be a real control freak. So for me, that was a big lesson, accepting what you can't control as fast as you can. Number two, allowing yourself to grieve. And that grief is a good thing in whichever way, be it yell it out, cry it out, hit the door, go run, write it out, whatever, whatever you need. But allow yourself, allow yourself to feel in my work, in my trainings, I always combine emotional intelligence with everything I do. Emotional intelligence is so important. Just be aware of your feelings. What is it that you feel and allow it to be. You're sad. Okay, be sad. You want to cry, cry. We, we have to stop pretending that emotions are bad. Emotions are our friends. They just inform us what's happening internally. So if you're angry, be angry. Don't hide your emotions. So whenever something happens that makes me really sad, I cry. And I say, okay, here we go again. I cry it out. And then you dry your tears and you, and, and you continue being empathetic with yourself. Just be kind to yourself. It's not easy going through adversity. So allow yourself the time to grieve, allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you're feeling, allow yourself to be whoever you want to be. And then this last notion of independence of saying, you know what, this is my life. I only have one life and mm -hmm. I'm going to live it the way I want to. We made that decision immediately when some of our family members told us, what are you going to do in Dubai? That is a selfish decision. We want to enjoy him too. And you're taking him away, things like that. And I was like, listen, what matters to me most is his quality of life. And the sun there is just going to be fantastic for him. Paris is impossible in a wheelchair. We're going. And if you want to visit us, you're very welcome. And we'll come back several times a year. But this is it. We're going to go. So make decisions that seem the best for you, even if others don't agree and defend it with everything you've got. What else can I say? Forgiveness is also an important one. Forgiving yourself for whatever it is that you're blaming yourself for, because whatever it is that you're blaming yourself is already in the past. Mm -hmm. So just let it be. You know, I, I, I don't say let it go because that's like an active thing of doing, but let it be. Let it be. It's okay. It happened. I, I... It's okay. I, I love what you said about emotions. Know that you will have emotions and let them be. Let those and yeah. same goes for parents. Many listeners are parents. Mm -hmm. I would say not only allow yourself to have the emotions and let them be, but allow your children to have the same emotions. If your son is showing his emotions, I know some of them say, Hey, you're a man. Oh, that's such bullshit. Right? Yeah. We have to learn to make friends with our emotions. We have to know that they're here to protect us. It's very simple. Our thinking brain, the neocortex has been developed the last. Before we didn't have them at all. We were all based on emotions and instinct. Now, emotions are a physiological reaction of our body telling us what's happening. So whenever there is anything that the body perceives as danger, boom, it's gonna tell the heart beat faster, pump more blood to the extremities, prepare your body for fight or flight. So it's there to help you. And if you let it be, do you know how long an emotion rushes through the body? Like the physiological reaction, how long that is? Really, when you know that it's only 90 seconds, mm -hmm. one minute and a half, can we please let it be for 90 seconds? That's it. But we are so afraid of it and we were never taught how to deal with it that before that 90 seconds, we start judging it. Your child falls on the ground, is crying because it's sad or it has pain and you telling it, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Stop crying, stop crying. Suck it's it gonna up. It's going to cry more. 
-hmm. suck it up exactly it's gonna cry more tell your child whatever it is that you perceive ah you fell did that hurt yes with that yes the recognition is there the emotion comes out and you connect to the thinking brain mm -hmm. the, the tears will stop faster allow it to be let's stop being afraid of emotions emotions are our friends emotions are our allies if we know how to recognize them if we increase our own self-awareness then emotions are there to guide us and not anything to be afraid of there you go you've just given me the title to this episode emotions are our friends emotions are our allies that's gonna be the title yeah lucien uh, you mentioned that you are a negotiator you negotiate all the time and you do complex negotiations how has your son's illness helped you in your professional life and the other way around? Mm, oh my God, uh, this disease and my son do continue to help me massively. I mean, seeing your son literally, I don't want to use the word die, but that is what is happening. His muscles are dying, his cells are dying. And the knowledge that unless a medical miracle happens, one day I'm going to have to bury him. You have to live with that knowledge. And that knowledge is the most difficult thing that I have to face every day. And that is the number one thing that creates stress in my life. So facing that every day makes other things that are stressful, not so stressful. I'm also an inspirational speaker and I speak for audiences of hundreds of people. And that's the number one fear of the Western world, public speaking. And for me, it's just fun. I love doing it. Give me a microphone and, and I'm very happy. So it helps you to balance and to know what really matters. Now, my son dying, that is my stress. Everything else I can handle. So I'm on a negotiation table. We're negotiating a big deal. We're talking about millions or tens of millions of euros. It's just money. It's just a transaction. It's just this. It's just, mm -hmm. uh, just a behavior. Somebody getting angry at you, somebody yelling at you. It's all part of the negotiation. It just doesn't impress me mm -hmm. because I'm impressed by my son. You see what I mean? So yeah. it just helps me be extremely calm in stressful situations, make decisions, reconnect with the rational mind very quickly because I'm just trained to go from emotions to mind, emotions to mind all the time, right? Yeah. So it just helps me to remain calm. I would say that's a very important thing. It helps me to let things be and, and move on very fast. And also I refuse, and that's the number one thing I told myself, I refuse to be unhappy despite this disease. Mm -hmm. That's a choice. I, I refuse. I mean, I have a younger child. I have to be there for her. I have my marriage. I have my job. I, I don't have the luxury to allow myself to be depressed. I have been depressed in the past. I know it's a very dark place. And when I got the diagnosis, I told myself, been there, done that. That's not going to help. I can make that choice. I am not going back there anymore. So I have to constantly remind myself that when I'm sad, when I'm angry, when I'm frustrated because of this disease, I remind myself that it's okay to feel what I feel. And as I always tell my clients as well, it's okay to be down. It's not okay to stay down. I love that. It's okay to be down, but it's not okay to stay down. Pull yourself up and move on. Mm. Yeah, I, I would love to continue our conversation. This is so heartwarming. Mm -hmm. But Lucin, I do want to ask you if there is any final message that you want to give to our listeners, anything that we've not discussed, anything you think that 
from your life you can pass on to them? The number one thing that comes to mind is be kind to yourself. I used to be a control freak. I used to be very unkind to myself. I used to be a perfectionist and all that is just such a waste of life. <laughs> so be kind to yourself. Whatever you feel is legitimate, is real. You have the right to feel whatever you feel. So give yourself that, but also give yourself the empowerment to say, now it's enough. And now we're going to make the best out of life. And now I'm going to decide what happiness looks like for me. In the end, I truly believe we were all born to learn lessons, grow through it. We can help others with that. And that's it. We're making life too complicated. Let's enjoy life more. It's a beautiful earth we live on. And take care of your health, of course. I would say that, especially now with this pandemic. And acceptance, I would say. Accept things that you can't change so that you can put all your time, energy, money, focus, passion into what you can control. And what we can control is a lot. And whether we want it or not, life is going to hit us. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be loss. There's going to be divorce. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. And we're not taught how to deal with that. And I think the problem is not the problem in life. The problem is that we think we shouldn't have problems in life. But once we know that we're going to have adversity one, two, three, ten times in, in a lifetime, you just go through it. It's not the end. It's the end of a chapter. And when you are courageous enough to turn the chapter, you'll see that there's another chapter and that the pen is in your hands. So write life as you want it to be. Look at us now. I mean, I have to tell you, I am happier now than I've ever been. Because now I understand the value of life. Now I understand the value of health. Now I understand how precious it all is and that it can literally fall away. The other day I was preparing my suitcase to travel to Switzerland for a training. And I remember giving my son a hug because I was leaving for several days. And I remember I asked God, I said, please make sure that he's still here when I come back. So it's really a day-to-day -day thing. That just uh, touched the heart. I must tell you that just touched the heart. Yeah. And and I'm leaving again in a few days. So <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to have to have that negotiation with God again. But then again, also allow yourself to live. Don't take life too seriously. Enjoy, 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 and live life the way you want to. Not what your parents say, what society says, what your coworker says, what your boss says, what you want. And if you don't know what you want, take a piece of paper, take a pen and write down the simple question, what makes me happy? Mm -hmm. And try to find at least a hundred answers. Okay, is it reading? Is it sleeping in? Is it uh, whatever it is? And try to see which one of those you can add more of in your life. It's as simple as that. What makes you happy? Do more of that. If happiness is having 10 million, then you need to redefine your happiness list. What can you do to be more happy? It's not about having, it's about doing. What kind of person do you want to be? How can you help another? And if you really do, I have no idea, start by helping others. Start by doing something for someone else or somebody that cannot pay you back in any way and see how good you feel with that. That is the beginning to happiness. Make it about someone else and you will become richer than you ever were. That is such a beautiful final message. Thank you, Lucin. And from the bottom of my heart, and I think my listeners want to say this to you, we all wish you all the best. Wish Thank you have you so many, many, many years with your son and 
I really hope to talk to him in the next few years as my guest. I hope so too. That is a beautiful vision. I hope so too. Let's pray that will be possible. I will talk to him tomorrow and say if he's up for having his very first podcast appearance. <laughs> he tends to be very introverted. and It's only these introverted kids that surprise you at the end of the day. Yeah, he, it's thanks to him that I discovered that I'm an introvert. I was such an adapted extrovert that I thought I was an extrovert, but in reality, I'm definitely an introvert and I'm now okay with that and, and I arrange my life accordingly. So yeah, he definitely helped me have more peace with myself. And as I always say, the most important negotiation that we can have is a peace negotiation with ourselves. That is the basics of having a great life. Make peace with yourself. Love it. Thank you so much, Lucin, again. And thanks for making the time to be on the show. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Listeners, now that you know Lucin's story, would you not agree with me that Lucin is practicing the serenity prayer in her life in its purest form? Here are my key takeaways from my discussion with Lucin Mehrabi, our guest for the 80th episode of Sharing Life Lessons. One, acceptance is key. Accepting what is, accepting what is not in your control, accepting things that you can't change so that you can put all your time, energy, money, focus, passion into what you can control and what we can control is a lot. Two, be aware of your feelings and allow your feelings to be. If you are sad, then go ahead, be sad. If you want to grieve, then go ahead, grieve. If you want to cry, then cry. If you want to rejoice, then do that. We must stop pretending that emotions are bad. Emotions are our friends. They are there to protect us. They are there to guide us. Emotions are our allies. Three, make decisions that seem the best for you, even if others don't agree. Four, forgive yourself for whatever it is you're blaming yourself for, because whatever you're blaming yourself for is already in the past. And lastly, the problem is not that we have problems in life. The problem is that we think we shouldn't have problems in life. Once we know that we are going to have adversities, you just go through it. It's not the end. It's the end of a chapter. And when you are courageous enough to turn the chapter, you'll see that there is another chapter and that the pen is in your hands. So go ahead and write the book of your life as you want it to be. This brings us to the end of this episode and this season. Before I end, won't you all join me in sending lots of healing light to Lucin's son? I am truly, truly hoping that someday he will be a guest on Sharing Life Lessons. I can feel in my heart that he will be an inspiration to everyone who listens to him. I will be taking a break in between seasons 8 and 9. I will bring you the first episode of season 9 on December 15th. Until then, Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, and be happy, be safe, and be blessed.